The Adventure Jogger, a podcast about trail and ultra running. Meet fascinating runners from the front, middle, and back of the pack, sharing inspiring and funny stories about life and running. Running should be fun, and so should running podcasts. I'm your host, Ryan Pluckelman, and this is The Adventure Jogger. Welcome to another episode of The Adventure Jogger. Jeff Stafford is over. Good evening, good evening. Cleaned up after dinner, ready to talk some ultra running, some trail running. Time to get back inside the mind of trail and ultra runners with one of our favorite guests of all time. I'm not sure what his rate my professor score is, (laughs) but I'm betting it would be pretty darn high from the Appalachian State University. Thank you. The Doctor of Ultras, Professor Thomas Mueller is on the Adventure Jogger uh, once again. Holy smoke. Welcome. Dr. Mueller, great to have you on. Wow, again. that is an introduction, and my rate, my professor is pretty good as long as they don't say you're too easy. That's <laughs> you the one that you got to get on. He's easy and good. Well, I'm not easy and good. So that's that part. Yeah, so, thanks for uh, you know, uh, Ryan. A lot of it. This whole second set of research is based on you helping me in this first talk we had, so I can tell you what happened. But I'm really thankful to you for for putting it on the show, so we got the new set of data we can talk about. I'm excited to go through and see because it, when you did the last round of research, and correct me if I'm wrong, this was like pre-ultra boom research. So the sport, the sport was much smaller when you originally did your research. Yeah, that's correct. You know, it was back uh, before I got my doctorate, and I think I finished it up through that. But I think I mentioned, you know, in those days, it was not too much internet, and I was using some email lists, and Ultra Running Magazine helped me, but... This time around, frankly, it's just easier because we can go out to ultra communities. But that first study, I think, was 2009 or 10. Oh, yeah. And I did remember one other thing. I had a recreation sport participation scale paper about that same time, which also told a little bit of a story about how I think motivations come. But, yeah, that's a long time ago compared to now. Oh, exactly. So, this is fresh you know, data. This is the, yeah. the, 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 the mind of the runner in 2022. We'll get to that in just a couple of minutes. If you missed the first episode, just go a couple episodes back. It's called Inside the Mind of an Ultra Runner. And this is Inside the Mind of an Ultra Runner Part 2, where we've used the new data. But I think before we get into the cold, hard data, one thing that people really love about you, Dr. Mueller, when you come on, is you're an ultra runner yourself. And and you've done quite a few ultras. You always have these great ultra stories and i hope you've saved one or two for us tonight before we get in to the data of you know those great stories of ultras gone by yes i do as a matter of fact you know the good news is i have stories the bad news is my memory doesn't recall them so quickly <laughs> when we were talking last time so I, you know after we got off i thought hey i've got a couple more for you but uh starters here's one for you i have I have to believe that myself and maybe just a few others were the very first users of energy gels in the United States. Really? And I do believe that, yes, because I even called an old friend, you know, and my whole love for passion endurance sport came through motocross. You know, I was initially involved with that years back. and, And David Bailey was a great champion in his day, a couple national championships and others. And I, I checked in with him the other day and 
he's got such a great memory, but there was a product and I'm positive I found it. And remember those little classified ads, the back of magazines? Oh yeah. yeah. It had to be Runner's World or maybe it was a Triathlon Magazine. I'm reading those little tiny, and it says Super Energy. I don't even know if they called the gel, but it was from South Africa. And, and we started ordering this stuff and it was called Lepin, L-E-P-P-I-N. <laughs> And this is mid 80s stuff and it would come and there'd be a, a, a little box and inside were these unmarked little <laughs> clear packets with some white swill in them. You know, in those days, I didn't really worry too much about what was in them, but I can remember sticking those in my socks no, knowing, when I first started. So, there, so there are no, no ingredients listed, no Surgeon General's warning no, or anything like that? No, white milky substance. I, and, uh, I love that you put them in your socks. That's the best we thing. We didn't have to, you know, I had these higher knee sock looking things for my those first yeah. marathons and I would stick those lepins down in there. And I remember they didn't even have real tear tabs. So you'd have to pull them on your teeth and then you wash them down with water at the at the aid stations. And and David Bailey remembered lepin too, but we, I don't know if he had it first or I did, but I can remember seeing those little classified ads and mailing away for this stuff. There must've been a U.S. distributor. I don't know, but I know it came from South Africa. So, so wow. what did lepin taste like? Do you remember? Sweet, you know, it could have been sugar water. I mean, I don't even remember what was, it was thick in a way, but, you know, sort of sugary or sweet tasting, but it, we were all living on whatever edge we could find, you know, and, and, and I remember Bailey also told me L-carnitine was the thing. He said it would shrink wrap me. So I would get this L-carnitine and they said a teaspoon, well, I'd gulp it out of the bottle. <laughs> and the other day when I checked, you know, he said, he said, well, I used to pour it in my water bottles and go ride my bike. Yeah. Because we, you know, we heard L-carnitine would really shrink you down and get you shredded. Right. So there's all these things we tried in those days, you know, it was way before all the new nutrition stuff came along. So I thought that was- it Sounds uh, like Caro that syrup. That was worth it. It really does. It sounds a little bit like Caro syrup. We've talked before, uh, Greg yes. Armstrong, who I, I saw just the other day. By the way, the guy the guy fractured his foot and he's still, like he, he, he used crutches to do a 5K. Because Greg Armstrong is is the most epic human being on, on planet Earth, and remember when he we had him on, and and what I love about about Greg is he's so basic, and I don't mean basic like in a pumpkin spice type of way. Yeah, he's yeah. just from his running standpoint, he's not fancy, doesn't have fancy kit, doesn't get it wrapped up in fancy shoes, like he runs in sandals, and instead of gels, he uses caro syrup with a little salt in it. Yeah. Which is, yeah. and it's the same thing. Right, it, right. It, it probably isn't, in a way we've talked before, you know, I said earlier, you know, we're marketed nowadays that you need a gel every mile in some of the half marathons or whatever, right? right we're wondering right. what do we really need? And then with the marketing, what are the basics? But there was never a time we weren't trying to chase some silly edge. Oh, sure. Oh, for sure. Some kind of goo or drink or you know, it just it, it sort of emerged out of ultra, and then it was a triathlon, and there was always someone looking for an edge. I can imagine you look at now all the flavors that they have, like birthday cake. What did we have? We had we had the other night we had what salted lime. Yeah, salted, salted lime, lime, which is actually not bad. I'm gonna give Goo a little credit because let's be honest, Goo most of your flavors are horseshit. 
um, the salted lime was actually pretty good. But you have to look at all those flavors and go like, guys, we didn't even have flavors back then. We had white goo. We had no idea what it was. Lepin. You know, lepin. <laughs> was it horse semen? Was it, you know, whoa, was it? Whoa, was whoa, it, whoa, whoa, whoa. Was it sugar water? I didn't go there, but I said a white milky substance. <laughs> you know, right. and I said, yeah. I don't know what was in those packs. Exactly. So. Steady, boy. Exactly. I'm just saying. Keep my mind clear had of that. no yeah. idea what it was. He stuck it, it in his socks. We, did, we didn't gotta know. Gotta keep it warm. <laughs> <laughs> it was, you know, those were those were some magic times. And, uh, you know, one other point, back when I was around those guys and it was Team Honda at the time, there was a guy named Jeff Spencer yeah. who did a lot of the first nutrition training. And I, was, I remember seeing him mix smoothies, power smoothies, and was pouring weird seeds in it. And, you know, Jeff went on to be Lance Armstrong's rehab guy on a bunch of the tours. Mm. Uh, so there was this big connection of I just feel so privileged. I was sort of able to see all this at the beginning. And just to think there was, you know, that was really the age of you had to train real hard to be a good racer. Right. And it was all bleeding over into triathlon and then ultras. Same people were doing the same stuff. The world back then of endurance sports, you know, you hit the 80s and, and the jogging boom happens. And all of a sudden everybody's putting on the long socks and all of that. But still, that's a 5K you know, 10K world. Mm -hmm. And then later on in the 80s, the marathon boom kind of hits. And then you've got the triathlon boom after that. But ultra running at this point too is still a tiny, tiny sport filled with very strange people. Right. And I think the big training we saw in those first days was following what Dave Scott, Mark, the big Ironman guys. Yeah. Because they were the ones going out doing the six and eight hour, 10 hour days, right? They'd run for two, three hours. They'd ride the bike five, six hours. So we were all tracking that and seeing how do you go fast and how do you keep going for long periods of time. And I still think some of those training measures came into ultra. Because time. Yeah, because you really couldn't. I mean, there was no, you couldn't buy a Sage Canaday couch to 50K right, training no, plan. It didn't exist. And so no, really, like, like you're no. like, how do we figure this out? What do we do? What's the proper way to train in a sport that is so niche at that point yeah. that people didn't even believe it existed? No, like it he, was strange. And, you know, you've heard we've talked about Clifton. You know, mm-hmm. I grew up around Eric Clifton in Greensboro. I was in that early scene. And, you know, he had his own philosophy, too. It was sort of that blow up or finish or blow up or win. You know, he was never one to just take out medium finish. So everybody had their own philosophy on, on what to do or how to finish races. But, we, you know, we just didn't have a lot to go on. When you look back at your training in the 80s, and seeing what you needed to do to get into shape to do these sports that nobody knew. Um, and also, aid stations were not as plentiful back then in races. Mm-hmm. No, we talked about that. You know, yeah, we sort were... of sketchy. Remember the bottle water's gone? Oh, right, you know, we've right. seen some, some crazy stuff. Yeah. Right. What is something that you think that you had from your training back in the early days of Ultra in the 80s that people need to bring back? into the world of ultra running today. We'd all benefit from this old school training technique. Well, I think a lot of it's what some of those stories I told before of, you know, getting to the halfway turnaround or the 50K thinking, I really need to rehydrate, sit here and drink and fill my bottles. And they say, guess what, pal, the water's gone. I'm gonna give you half a bottle here. You know, the water's run out. And times were just tougher, but I think you, you, you had to adapt because you had lower expectations of what you might get. Right. Does that make sense? Nowadays, yes. if the age station's not perfect or the water's not the right temperature, you know, my, my phone battery died and I can't TikTok whatever's going on. <laughs> These are all things that happen on the trail. But, you know, I think just knowing we didn't know what we'd always get, that you, you, you just had to keep going. 
you know, and, just, and I, I'll, there's a little bit in the research I'll get into later on that, but you just didn't always know how great things would be, but you just found a way to finish. Just know better. that if, if, if you're ever complaining about a race not having avocado toast. Right. <laughs> you might want to rethink that. Yeah. We didn't know, you know, and also I think the thing we didn't have are those nice big bladder packs. Yeah. You know, so if you had water, you can fill up and sort of know you're good for a while, but we didn't, we were running with handhelds, one or two handhelds. That's all we ever had. So not a whole lot of extras. Do you think syrup bottles? Yeah, you, people <laughs> yeah. use maple syrup bottles because they would use that yeah. the little open up and close lid. Yeah. Do you think? And I don't. I can't remember if we've talked about this before. Please forgive me if we have. Um, but I, I just love talking to the guys that were in the sport back in the in in the early days before all the technology, before all the hoopla. Do you think the the invention of GPS watches has it have it has it had a net positive effect on the sport? or a net negative effect on the sport overall? This is my personal opinion, yeah. but I think I like to know the facts and the truth. Even when I ride my mountain bike now, you know, if I know it's 9.7 miles back to the car, no matter what I'm thinking or feeling, I know the truth. Right. Okay. In those days, all you had was, you know, they'd say it's 6.2 to the next station. It's 8.7 to the next station. And you went. And how many times, how tired did you get? And the thing I think it's got to be around the corner. It's got to be around the corner because I'm so tired. Yeah. I might only have gone five miles of that eight. Right. But I'm, my mind's telling me it's got. And so it's sort of dehabilitating not to know the truth. And you just you're, you're trudging on. So honestly, I think in that sense, if I know it's 8.2 to the next aid station, I think knowing the facts and the truth are the best way to manage yourself. Here's the God. So honest, I think it's an advantage. Yeah. that way. I think as the God honest truth is. Jeff Stafford, if GPS watches didn't exist, you wouldn't run ultras because you wouldn't have the data you needed to get your data fixed because you're I a like data, the data I like the data. You love the data. Yeah. And I would tell you, he'll run in circles in a parking lot to get to a round number. Mm -hmm. He, he well, even, he. Now, we've had this discussion. We have. We've had I do the, that too. I do that. <laughs> and if it's going on If Strata, I get on a mountain bike finish, I'll do laps around the parking lot to hit the right numbers before I finish. <laughs> but Jeff, yeah. tell everybody your, your thoughts about Strava and how you have to make sure well, here's, you overcompensate. Here's the deal. Now this, I don't know if it applies to Garmin's, but I have a Koros watch. Yeah. yeah. Good, good watch. Yeah. And I've noticed the first time like I ran an eight mile or hit eight miles, click stop it. And it downloads, you know, to the, the Koros little app thing. And then I have that forwarded on to Strava. And it, it posts to Strava and it shows <laughs> like it's Strava Pony Express. as 7.99. <laughs> I'm like, oh, no, no, no. You no. have we no idea how that wrecked his day. We can't have that. We can't have that. <laughs> so every time I run with Koros, I have to go the extra 0 0.01 for it to show up as a whole number if you so think this is a bit for the for the podcast people no jeff will not and i would i would i would bet i'm not the only one that does i would that. bet you're not the only one either but i i'm the kind of guy it's like ah watch this 10 we're done what jeff's like nope we got to go 10.1 10.01 to get it to get it just right otherwise you you can't say i ran 10 miles Strava, Strava doesn't lie. I mean, if it's not on Strava, you know that's the right. deal. So. That's true. I mean, really, d does 
Does, does Dr. Mueller's career before Strava even count? <laughs> I, I don't know. Can Remember you count? All we had with those don't tell me you ran 100 right? miles. Right. You ran 99.6. <laughs> hey, but I'll tell you what Strava is good for if you're going to look back, because my memory's not that great. I can't even yeah. tell yeah. you how many ice ages I ran. I think I know, but I might be lying. Yeah. So I think, wouldn't it be neat just to, to know you're really tabulating accurately all these finishes and times and such? And like I mentioned, Rob Apple, you know, yeah. he, he keeps a spreadsheet for his whole 700 and however many ultras so he but i have never done that so i have a i wish i knew sometimes exactly what did happen what is that's great about it what is nice is how the technology has improved and even you know five six years ago getting a watch with a 24-hour battery battery life was impossible you know i think the garmin phoenix one was like yeah we can do 18 hours and this thing was gigantic it was the size of a dinner plate yeah Mm -hmm. It, it really was and so what did you have to do before? And now, I mean, God, you see watches have 72-hour battery life. It's, it's yeah. ridiculous. But I remember you doing races, Jeff, where we would have to... That was with a Phoenix 2. Yes, and it would, mm. it, would, it, would, it, would, it would piss out at about 13 hours. Somewhere thereabouts. And then so Jeff would have to give the crew one of those, you know, like one of those... One, you see joggers out on the street with their iPhones in that little thing that goes on yep. their arm, right? The little yep. armband for yep. the iPhone. Jeff yeah. bought those. But I didn't put an iPhone in mine. No, he put a battery pack in there. And so we'd have a battery pack. Ran it right to the watch. We had to run the battery pack you know, great. to Jeff's arm and like put like a little little sweatbands on it so the cord wouldn't get caught up on things. There's like a cyborg. Yeah, exactly. Just because he would get all the data because he would get pissed yeah. Oh, if yeah. his watch went dead before I gotta, the finish. I got to have the data. Yeah. So we, But now it's not a problem because, you know, the Apex uh, is what, 36 hours? Uh, something like that, yeah. You've never, yeah. You've never run the Apex dead, have you? No. Well, yeah. on you know, if I don't charge it, it goes dead. Oh, but, for, but think about like <laughs> not for, during a race. Did you have that for the last time you ran Vol State? No, I had a Garmin. And and would you have to do charge it every night or something? Uh, I did every every opportunity I stopped, I put it on the charger. It'd be interesting yeah. to see how that. Huh? What you need to do is get you one of those newer Apexes I, or something. That's what I need to get is a newer, yeah, you know, newer. You are. New. Here's the New. thing. He's single. He's re- he's almost retired. Yeah, almost. And his kids are full grown. Yeah, like I'm not buying you a a new fancy schmancy watch because I got kids, man. You got this all this sweet retirement income you can use to get this fancy <laughs> like Vertex three or something. What I don't say eight hundred bucks, eight hundred something like what that. Should I, should I buy that at the same time I buy my new phone? I think you should buy that same time you buy your phone. It's just you may have to decide between. <laughs> There's two grand done. Right, it's like gone. You meant to decide between your your silver singles membership for the year, right, or. Or, or do I renew watch. that or yeah. <laughs> what do I do? Decisions, decisions. Crazy money, crazy money. It, it is. Yeah. It's, it's, it's crazy yeah. to think about. All right. Talking about data. Had some fun. Keeping this podcast yes. fun. So taking a look at the early pre-boom data. We talked about that on the first episode. Again, if you want to listen to it, check out Inside the Mind of an Ultra Runner. That's a few episodes back. What let's 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 get into the data now. What did you find the inside the mind of the modern ultra runner circa 2022? 
Well, I think I found out a few things, interesting reveals. But uh, first of all, I, there's a, there's 370 responses after I cleaned up the data. Yeah. Okay. okay. And I want to thank you and your listeners. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Jared Beasley from ultrasignup.com. He gave me a shout out. Nice. Yeah. And 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 then also there was an, an ultra running community on Facebook that claimed 37,000 members, but they put a little shout out on there for me. Too. Yeah. So. I, out of all that, I was really impressed that yeah. we got 370 clean responses mm-hmm. to work with, which is a good enough sample to talk about. But uh, if you look, I, I, let me run through what we call descriptive data. This is yeah. just let's talk about who is in this, the sample. OK, yeah, basically, you've got a 50 percent of the people are intermediate skill level, 50 percent. And then you've got about 22 percent beginner and 26% advanced. So you sort of got this pyramid, but you can see it. There's intermediate, and then on each side of it, pretty equal beginner or advanced. Yep. Your Half of your audience is, is uh, intermediate. Here's an interesting one. Remember, we talked about this. I added one question you might remember. Are you a lone wolf, or are you to get your power off the pack? Yeah. We got 70% lone wolves out there, 30% pack people. Interesting. So perception in their mind. Now, again, with research, we say, what does that really mean, lone wolf? How do they perceive that? Well, we don't sure. know, but they see themselves. What's is the descriptor that a, for that? Is that yeah. a, right, an independent trail experience? Do they like to do it their own way? But we've got 70-30 so, for the lone wolf out there. Well, compared to the first round of data, has that number grown? Have, have, well, it's new because remember I never really Oh, that's, oh yeah, that's right. You're right. Yep, it's yep, just yep, what yeah. we talked about. You sort of prompted my memory. Yes, on that. right. And then there's a couple of other one other thing I did, and I'll get to that. Um, average miles a week is 40 miles a week, and you know you can see you know a little bit on each side of that. But the runners average 40 miles a week. Uh, they're running five, four to six days a week. Okay. You know, the predominantly yeah. five days a week running. Here's one you'd understand. You know. You've got uh, a lot of your runners in the zero to five category of years running. Mm-hmm. And then five to 10 is another big chunk. 10 to 15 is a huge drop. Really? Yeah, big drop. So if you look at this, uh, you got about 50 people at 10 to 50. You know, if you've got about 170 people are at zero to five, about 125, about at five to 10, and then boom, 10 to 15, you get a big, and after that, it's almost gone. Really? Yeah, so you can see this is a, you know, five to 10, or, you know, a lot of people are just going to get hurt over that period of mm-hmm. time, but you've got about a 10 year lifespan here and, and then it really falls off. That is really interesting. And the mileage, the average mileage, I think is interesting because mm-hmm. you know, you never really know what the average is for regular folks who have a job mm-hmm. because no one really follows regular folks that have a job on Strava. That's right. So you look at guys like like Walmsley who's doing 130, 140 mile weeks and, and Anton mm-hmm. when he was in his prime doing 200, 220 mile weeks, which even he will say now was ridiculous. But to see... What people are doing and the average mile being or the average miles per week being 40 40. miles per week. I believe that. That's really that's that's really interesting to see what people are achieving on an average of 40 miles a week. Right. And and what we always say in advertising and I'm advertising professors, as you look at this, it's always let's not forget who's really out there. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like the bicycle ads. It's always the 2% body fat guy racing down a mountain. Well, that might not be your, your really buyer consumer. Yeah, so, if you, you go to any, yeah. any if this, this talk cycling for a second, you go to any 
group ride, you are going to see a mm-hmm. boatload of beer guts. That is the most beer gut sport yes. I've ever seen. <laughs> like if people get on ultra runners for being a little thick around the middle, but yeah. bicyclists and why they want to wear ridiculously skin tight shirts and pants. Like, wouldn't you want to hide the gut? <laughs> they're getting tighter. Right. They they're getting, getting tight, Yes. Let me tell you. It, yes. Be yes. crazy. It's great. But, but yeah. you know, ultra runners, you know, I think I always try to look at this and I try to think of the prototypical person. Who are we looking at yeah. this data? So um, another interesting thing, you know, I ran something a little different for data on income. You know, yeah. is basically do you might remember this and this do I have just mm. enough to get by? Yeah. You know, I have uh, okay, but I have to budget closely. Most of our people are doing well enough and have extra to enjoy life. Okay, that's seventy five percent of our audience. So sometimes I like to you know people are sometimes saying our demographics dead. You know, the old ten to twenty, twenty to right. thirty. Yeah. We've got a lot of people that got a few bucks in their pocket. You know, that's who this audience is. They're doing well enough that they can do extra fun things in their lives. Which is nice. And you like to see mm-hmm. that because I, I, I've noticed and, and, and Jeff, you've even noticed and you haven't been doing it for, for too terribly long. And I'm sure, Dr. Mueller, you've noticed it too. The prices are going way up. There's been an explosion in cost yeah. to, 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 yeah. to ultra run now. Yeah. Where I think mm-hmm. when you did it, you had to send them like three box tops, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, you know, I got to look at the, the the conversion of dollars in that day, but still, I think you were running 100 milers for 80 bucks. Exactly. And in today's dollar, what does that look like? But still, when you've got 50Ks that are there, $200. There are still a few reasonable races out there. And I'll give you a good example one. I ran a race, uh, when was it, 2017 or 18 out of Damascus. Mm-hmm. And it's called the Iron Mountain 50. 50 mile on the yeah. old, on parts oh. of the old Appalachian Trail. Yeah. And uh, entry fee was 25 bucks. 25 bucks. Really? That's great. Wow. That is great. Was that with a senior discount and a military no, that, discount? That's, that's a straight up average Joe Blow discount right there. <laughs> and the best thing was when you finish, they didn't hand out medals. They had, you finished at a gazebo. And on the table was lined up all these jams and jellies and baked goods, and you got to pick what you wanted for your finisher's gift. I love that. That was it. Love that idea. Some of that still was fun, you know. But uh, yeah, we have people with enough money to participate, which is that's good. what it looks. Like. Which is good. You, know? you do worry. You do worry about the sport getting out of hand I, yeah. and, and out of reach of the regular runner. One thing I think we've, yeah. I've always loved about running is that there is a low barrier of entry. You do not need to have a $10,000 bicycle. You just need to go out and buy a pair of shoes. You can get a cheap pair of shorts on Amazon and and you can go do it. But it's good to see that it is not because, like the majority are not facing issues of do I I pay for the power bill or do I sign up for an ultra? Yeah, you don't have to buy a $10,000 triathlon bike. Right, right. Exactly. But you can buy an $800 watch. You can do that. Yeah, you can. Yeah, That's probably one of your biggest expenses is is electronics. We, you know, this is our convenience sample. You know, it's opt-in. People decide, but of the group that decided to take this survey, for whatever reason, they're pretty well funded. yeah, that's good. And by the way, we've got, you know, a lot of millennial and Gen Xers out there. Looks like Gen X is the 53% is the big crowd. And then the boomers fall off there. We've got about boomers. 15% of the boomers. Mm-hmm. But the big, you know, you've got the millennial and the uh, Gen Xers are the, are the ones that are out there in the big numbers. Now, I know you didn't ask this question in the data, but I'm going to ask you two 
to extrapolate a little bit from personal experience. Is it because the boomers, maybe we talked about earlier with just the sample size falling off, you know, you five to 10 years or zero to five years is a big number. Five mm-hmm. to 10 years is a bigger mm-hmm. number. And then it kind of drops off after that. Is it because the folks have experienced the sport and are out? Or is it not a sport that really appeals to that generation? And do you think this sport appeals more to to Gen X and millennials? Because, I mean, let's face it, boomers grew up in the shadow of the Second World War. Where it, it, I mean, it, it was hard work. It wasn't easy. I'm not saying people don't work hard now, but I think as far as the physical aspects of labor have changed, that if you look at America as a whole, during the time when baby boomers were were in the workforce, there was a lot of physical labor. I think about my dad, for example, mm-hmm. a floor installer. You know, working hard on on his knees every day, right. installing heavy flooring, and a lot of jobs now have shifted to more desk type jobs, more uh, more computer jobs, more more brain work from home jobs. Work from yeah. home or brain power yeah. jobs. Do you think is there anything to or am I just talking out of my ass? And you can you can say that if Probably. you want. It's okay. We're it's all, all right. interpreting here. Exactly. We're all interpreting. Do you think the reason why this sport appeals to to Gen Xers and millennials is because there's some is there some deep rooted need, do you think for some people to experience hardness, to experience hard times, to mm-hmm. to be uncomfortable and to to suffer a little bit, maybe to feel more alive. Well, I got a first. I'll start. First of all, I think if you look at the boomer number here, they just didn't start late. I think this boomer number were people that came through all those earlier years, gotcha. as I did, yeah. as others did. But you know, you get older and in- injuries take you out. Some people, and we right. talked about this last time, they just don't want to run slow. You know, their glory days right. are over. They're not running in the age groups anymore. And do they really want to run off the back? Right. Many don't want to. So I think it's somewhat natural attrition, mm-hmm. but you're you're onto something because nowadays everything is about being harder, right? If someone's, hey, the, you know, the race goes straight up and it's all rocks. Right. It's a good thing. Or right. what the last man standing now who can run 400 before they tip over. It seems to be harder is better. So maybe there is something about that attraction. Yeah, I concur with what he was saying. Now, I'm probably one of the exceptions to the boomer crowd as far as ultra runners in that I started way late. You did, yeah. I didn't didn't grow up running into it. I started, what, eight years ago. Yeah. Wow, excellent. That's really great. That's great. And that's that's kind of how I'm in it. But certainly that's that's the minority, no doubt. No doubt at all. Yeah. I think it's a attrition yeah. thing, like you pointed out. You know, it's just uh I mean, I see it a little bit in myself right now. You you get frustrated with with age and that you you're going to slow down. It's inevitable. Mm-hmm. You, you, there's <laughs> you can only do so much. You know, and you like I noticed like, okay, man, I'm i my times have dropped down about 10, 15 seconds per mile now. What's going on? Well, you're not 21 anymore. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Medicare is yeah. what's going on. Right? That's, that's, what, yeah, that's what that is. It's, uh, you know, I remember I used to run 10 every day here at App State, pretty hard trail run such. And I can remember several years and more than several coming back and punching my watch and how angry I was that I had averaged nine minute miles. Yeah. And right. I think now, you dummy, 
you know, that was a pretty darn good time, you know, but I was already angry back then because I was only bringing in nine minute miles, but it just tips off over time. And and I think there's natural attrition in it too. In sure. the sport. Yeah. It's, it's hard to be out there. You know, we're big middle of the Packers, 61% middle of the pack, you know, tw- uh, 20, let me check something here. Yeah. 25%. I want to make sure I got these in the right order. Uh, back of the pack is 25%, okay. All right. uh, 61% middle of the pack, and yeah. 15% front of the pack. Okay, so basically Patrick Reagan f- filled out the survey. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Kyle yeah. Curtin filled out the yeah, survey. Yeah, we, we had him in there. But I wanted to go back to one thing about, about Jeff and, and the difference in, in Jeff's baby boomer um, uh, running and how that's a little different. You you started late, and I think you're right. And but but that being said, you were always physically fit because of the service. Like you were never. Yeah, yeah. It just wasn't running was not a priority. It's not something I did for right. sport or fun. It was out of necessity. You saved all the beating for later in life. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's maybe maybe that's why you're having a good time now, though, right? Because you don't have all those hard miles on yep. you, like. I frankly, I did, you know, and yeah. hurt my back and did other things, just wearing myself down. But yeah, if you have some miles left in you, that can come any time in life. Yep, that's uh, a good. I'm, thing. I'm believing that defending that's, freedom. That's some good. You know, yeah. Jeff. Jeff bleeds red, white, and blue, and when he and when he snores, it sounds like a bald eagle. Because he is, he is freedom, and so, so, so I think that's that's helped him out in his career quite a bit. That's interesting about middle of most people identify as yeah. middle of the pack, and I know that's yeah, a, you'd, ex- you'd expect that, wouldn't you? I mean, that's sort of <clears throat> exactly what I thought. What I thought we'd see, and yeah. then one last one, just descriptive. You know, I did something where I just said identify feminine to masculine. It's sort of a newer measure, but bottom yeah. line, if you sort of bin those, we got thirty four percent feminine on the lower end of that scale, sixty one percent masculine. So, however you. You might identify that's sort of a split you know we're sort of two-thirds masculine identity and one-third feminine identity but going back to where where you started i mean it was probably the bulk of it was male i mean there's probably yeah. races oh, yeah. where it was all guys back in the 80s yeah and i think the the women that did run were sort of elite yeah you know like sure. shelby hayden clift and eric's wife at the time you yeah. know the, the women that were out there were doing business you know there were some pretty serious runners but you're right it was a very small proportional number yes it was all right all right we're learning are you learning something jeff yeah Yeah. interesting all right good stuff let's let's keep moving through this data so here's here's one of the big plays i'm going to tell you about so a couple of things happened you might remember if you took the survey there was you know a bunch of questions just all kinds of questions about your position in ultra running there Mm -hmm. were 15 statements and then below that it was this thing that says to me ultra running is and remember, then it was like important, unimportant, right. et cetera. So yeah. here's the deal. They're both involvement measures. And the first, the one that says to me, ultra running is, and there were 10 answers. That's a Zykowski scale. It's supposed to measure cognitive and effective, which right. is fact-based involvement and emotion. Yeah. Okay. Real quick, that scale, we we do what we call, we test for reliability. There's a test just to say, did this scale work like right. it should? I yeah. think we're sort of looking for patterns across these. It was really high reliable. The only difference was if you look at the effectiveness, the emotion of ultra running, fascinating, appealing, exciting, et cetera, it sucked over relevant. Relevant was supposed to be a cognitive measure for whatever reason, the way she designed it. So you got a picture here is a really high emotional involvement and it also is very relevant okay okay and in that scale not to get too complicated 
There's something called eigenvalue, which says the power of this, that emotional factor was way, way powerful. Yeah. The other cognitive factor was almost a fall off huh. in the power it had. Okay. So what I'm saying in all this is one thing we know out of this to me, ultra running is highly emotional, very relevant on the bottom of it. So you can picture that person. They're into the emotion. And I'll get in a second to sign value. You know, that's something yeah. similar. Yeah. But it's very emotional, fascinating, appealing, exciting. But we see a high relevance in it. It's interesting. That's what that's what drives that. It's funny, you know, middle of the Packers running 40 miles a week who identify as lone wolves are getting something very deeply out of the yeah. sport. That's interesting. Yeah. Hmm. Very yeah. interesting. Yeah. yeah. And here, this is the big play in this. I find this really interesting. So if you look at the other 15 questions, remember that was also an involvement scale with five different types of measures. It did not hold up at all. I tested it for reliable. It didn't, it was reliable in no way. All that means is it didn't fit together like we said. So then what we do is do something called factoring. And we dump all 15 in there and let them sort themselves out. What clusters do they get? Yeah. Okay, what clusters do they? So here's what happened. Pleasurable, confident in the activity I'm doing. I really enjoy it. I'm giving a gift to myself and it never leaves me indifferent. That is the first one that was the most powerful. And I call that sensory pleasure. Yeah. Okay, does yeah. that make sense? It's almost like yep. the emotion measure. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what you can picture the person out there, right? I made the right choice. It's pleasurable giving a gift so you can right. know that, yeah. right? Here's the one that I call the next one really bothered me. Here's the next po- most powerful one. It collects, I'm annoyed when I make the wrong event choice. Okay. I complete an ultra and it proved to be poor and it made me upset. And I mistakenly prioritize ultra among other activities and that really matters. Huh. I'm calling this the doghouse. I think it's the people that are going in the doghouse. They're probably putting in a lot of time. They might be narcissistic. They're not happy they got Mm -hmm. to that event. Something went wrong. And then what do they say? I mistakenly prioritize this among my other activities. And that really matters. I've been with so many guys that are not good at home because of all the time they're putting into running. And I'm just wondering if this isn't a measure. It's a powerful measure of people that aren't really happy with the choices they're making. Maybe they put all the time into this race. It didn't turn out that great or they didn't like it as much. And then they say, man, I am not prioritizing what I'm doing very well. And that really matters. That is interesting that you bring that that's up. That's my interpretation yes. of that yeah. cluster. That's a, good, that's a good interpretation. Could you, and you probably have to run this cross-check on the data at some other time, but I would wonder what the average miles per week would be of the doghouse people as opposed to the folks that find it emotionally fulfilling. Like is is it a yeah. is it a balance issue? Is it a is I, I I put in all of this and I expected more? Like I wonder what it is. Yeah, and it's funny because you know in this test all we really get is the power of each of those clusters. So yeah. we know after this you know real big sensory pleasure thing, the number two is this. I call it the doghouse. You know, someone who's not happy with their choices and, and know that it's really a problem and it really matters. So that's it. And then the next one is. You know, it can tell a lot. People can tell a lot about me because I'm an ultra runner and it tells a lot about me. That third one is sign value, Mm -hmm. you know, social identity. Hey, I'm an ultra runner. I want people to know I'm an ultra runner. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then the last one is important to me. 
it interests me a lot, but it's comp it's complicated choosing ultras over other activities. So here again, we I really like it, but it's hard for me to make these choices. So I call that one conflicted priorities. Yeah. Okay. Does yeah. that so I'm looking at this yeah. so the scale didn't really fit as it was supposed to, but as I refactor it. There's sort of a story in this, I think, of, you know, some pleasure, but some not so good things happening with some people, too, as they go about their ultra running activity. OK, interesting. So very. So like those, maybe they're in it for the, the wrong reason. Right. Maybe the why is wrong. Why? Say you, that again. Maybe I, the why is wrong. wrong. You know, the yeah. why, why are you doing this thing? Oh, yes. You know, yes. That, yes. that might be factoring into it. We all or, have that internal maybe, why. Do you know why you're doing this? Right, exactly. <laughs> yes. Or times in life where I, frankly, was very unhappy and had some things going on. I'd finish a hundred mile and walk across the finish line. I wasn't happy. It didn't fulfill me. Right. So is there a time where the, you, yeah. it's not the right reason? You know, you're not getting the satisfaction out of it. Right, exactly. You do it because it's something you've always done, and you're just not in the yeah. spot where you where you want to do it at this point. You, or is it fear of missing it, out? You know? Yeah. Fe- oh, fear of missing out. They call that FOMO. FOMO. Yeah, the fear FOMO. of missing out. You know, or maybe your fear of missing out something else because you're thinking, again, mm-hmm. I'm having a hard time prioritizing this. You yeah. know, it really matters if I make a bad decision over other things. I don't know. All right. So your wife would be. I gotta. I gotta interject this. Your wife would be so proud of you now because you're you're working with math and you don't even realize it. I know. That's scary. I know. (laughs) She's gonna love this episode. She's gonna come home after listening to this episode and be like, Ryan, I never Mm -hmm. knew you had such a math magical mind. (laughs) So well, it's just numbers, you know. But I think if you can simplify it, and what I like most is turning it into a story. Yeah, like we're doing just talking because some people get all caught up in the jargon and write the papers. That's fine. But it's not like telling a story of this data and what it really might might help us do. Um, just to call this out, you know, I pulled up this sport recreation scale I did in 2012. Mm-hmm. And the number one factor in this, get this difficult training skills, experience, practiced and tough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can. That's the big. So that, again, I'm seeing way back in 2012 with another data set. There's this person that wants to be challenged and, and feel, again, it's difficult and I get this, you know, experience out of it. So I'm looking back at old data and then this new study. And I just wonder nowadays if things aren't a little more complicated for people maybe than they used to be. Um, and I have one other point, you know, I will admit in my day, there was a time way back when I did put way too much into myself and my racing when I had relationship and family. Yeah. You know, when I was told I had a selfish sport. Yeah, And there came a point much after that I never ran with crew again, ever, because I thought I don't want to put anybody through this right. on my behalf. Right. So I just used aid stations. And I'm thinking, how many people do have family balance where the ultra runner expects quite a bit? Because if you want someone to be out there for 24, 30 hours in the middle of the night standing by some tree <laughs> waiting for you, <laughs> right? that's asking a lot of your partner or With family. a cup of hot coffee or soup or something. Right. <laughs> And then the person comes in and goes, where's my weapon? Right. Why don't you have my weapon? You know, so <laughs> there's always something I distinctly about that. said birthday cake goo. Where's yeah. my birthday cake right, goo? Exactly. It's in my, you know, it's in your sock. I don't know. I don't know. So maybe those are things to think about as we go forward into the future. Yeah. I, you know, those are those things. Uh, I did a network analysis, one more test, but yeah. this sort of tells the dimensions. 
involvement, cognitive and affective is really strong. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing is sensory. It's a big triangle, sensory pleasure. Yeah. And then that level of emotional involvement. It's just what we talked about. That tests really strong again. Okay. And then um, social sign value is connected to mm-hmm. that. So it's the same with different tests. You sort of see the same things and reinforce that. We can picture the person, a lot of emotion, sensory value, and then they've got the social value, sign value of who they are. Right? What was the biggest, so. looking at the, the both sets of data, what was the biggest surprise that you saw change-wise from the first time you did it to this mm-hmm. current time? What was the biggest like, ooh, well, that's a shocker. I Well, the biggest thing I just said is that, you know, the scale didn't hold up. You yeah, know, it yeah, wasn't right. reliable and it's, you know, it wasn't just in the five different chunks that the original author said it would be. Mm-hmm. So I had to refactor it. And then you get this really questionable type information about how people really feel about their experience. Yeah. Yeah, that would. And maybe as people listen to this, they can. Will that resonate? You know, my interpretation, by the way, when you name one of these factors, it's called a latent variable. Yeah. So it is just what we're doing. We're just hypothesizing what that means. Yeah. Maybe your listeners will say, yeah, that is me. That's how I feel. Mm-hmm. You know, that's some of my problems. So so I don't know. You know, that's one of the things that came out of it. Um, some of the predictors in this, and you might know this because this was from the other study, intention to participate sign value is the number one thing again just intention the the biggest predictor of intention to participate is i am an ultra runner yeah you know i i want to do this sport okay and then uh skill level the uh, the predictors of skill level are uh sensory sensory pleasure mm-hmm. again we saw that and um let's see uh that's really it it's sensory pleasure is the one that's the big one for a perceived skill level. So I guess as you get better, you're pleasing yourself, you're getting all these emotional cues, maybe that helps you continue to do the sport. So we're all lone wolves running 40 miles a week who do this for the for the pleasure. That's that's who we are as ultra runners. That, that could be it. And then there's, you know, one more test and you know it, it, it's a decision tree. This is basically it's testing exactly for the lone wolf. Yeah. It's saying how does a lone wolf make decisions? It's a lot of the same. It's emotional involvement. And then the ones that are most highly emotional go down to sign value. So you see this again and again, you know, those are the things, but the factoring, you know, talking about the doghouse, because after sign value for the lone wolf, uh, they go to doghouse. That's where they go. Uh So they've got emotional involvement way high on that. Then they go to sign value is the next part of their decision making in the sport. Hey, I'm an ultra runner, but boy, I'm going to the doghouse. That's that's where they go after that. Interesting. So it's in there, you know, and and, uh, I when I write the paper on this and I will, I'm probably not going to call it doghouse. I don't know if that'll go. But I thought it was just something that hit me when I was going through this data is that really what it is? Because, you know, how many times I've been out in trail runs with people and five of my friends are racing for the car. Yeah. Why? Because I know they're in a doghouse because they got to get home and they told their wife to gonna or husband or partner. Yeah. Yeah. They're going to mow the lawn and feed the dog and do all this other stuff. And the day's two thirds over. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. That's just something I'd like to look more at in the future. Or maybe they want that cold beer before you get to it. <laughs> <laughs> That's the that's the single man's. That's cure. it. Yeah, single man's. Cure. We'll we'll see. We'll see. But uh, 
it's it's fun to play with this stuff and i just you know keep looking at the data but with 370 or whatever we had i i think that's you know that's pretty reliable to say it's a pretty good sample set you know let me tell you um i speaking of data while we were talking, I did have a chance to go to RateMyProfessor.com. Uh-oh. And I will say that Dr. Mueller is a four out of five. Oh, look at that. Four, Only four? Four out of five. Oh, shit. Uh, 3.7 per, uh, level of difficulty. 62% of your students would take your class again if they had to. Um, you have, an, you have a, a mainly awesome rating. You were rated awesome by, by your students. That's pretty good. Did you read the comments? Are there anything in there I should know about? Um, okay, well, this comes from <laughs> who? This is this comes from. Uh, they, they don't want to leave their name. Oh. Um, this person. This person uh, la- labeled you as awful. Oh, oh. They said they said you're you're a tough grader, and you signed too many papers. They said I would avoiding recommend I would have, I would recommend avoiding Dr. Mueller at all costs. He's incredibly smart but has no idea how to relay information to students and gives us busy work. You failed somebody and they got pissed. Now I want to go home. <laughs> now this one said, get ready. This rated okay. you as a 5. Awesome. Dr. Mueller made advertising campaigns as bearable as possible. This class is notoriously difficult. And uh, as a a senior capstone course, Dr. M took an otherwise difficult course and made it fairly simple. He has not assigned busy work, which is awesome. Everything to do in this class counts for something, and I highly recommend him. So one of those guys was in the doghouse. Doghouse. Busy work, no busy work. Busy work, no busy work. You're loved. I'm going through all of these reviews, and you are loved. You are a loved professor. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. I thank you for those students. And sometimes you're not like this, like being a politician. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Exactly. But be the difference. You never know. Now, let me ask you this, because the biggest thing my wife has to deal with problem wise uh, when it comes to students at school is drawing on the desks. Uh, She had one student (laughs) that drew a bunch of penises on, on his on his desk and she had to like. He had to come after class and like scrub the, the 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 sharpie penises off his desk. Do you have to deal with that? No, but I did have a long discussion with a student who talked to me about wanting to propose uh, conjugal sex rooms at our university. <laughs> oh my god! So instead of wiping off yes. the crayon, yes. I had a twenty-minute talk about the pros and cons. I you know said you need to take a porta potty and tip them on your side. I don't know, but. Oh, serious. Lordy. So serious. So that, you know, my, my thing might be a little more, uh, you know, narrative oriented than, than wiping off the crayons. Oh, well, I think it's probably just a natural progression. You start in middle school math. Yes. Taking Sharpies and drawing penises on your desk. And then you end up at well, Appalachian State. Right, exactly. You end up at Appalachian State University trying to convince uh, Dr. Mueller that, you know, we need conjugal sex rooms well, that's what the we student is convinced of that and, and, and says they will continue to take that proposal forward they'll continue so they, fighting the good fight that's that's right so i mean we learn all kinds of things in school but it's it's fun working with i want you not to joke it's fun working with students and you know this is a time in life post covid that uh it's sometimes hard to motivate but it's worth it you know you just try to keep people interested that's the that's the big challenge well just know i know you probably don't look at your i i check our reviews on itunes which is what i would count as as our version he has some great rate my professor but i (laughs) will say that you are loved on rate my professor people do love you 
We need are to we rate doing your on iTunes? How are we doing on numbers? Uh, we're doing we're doing good on iTunes. People seem to seem to like us. I got a couple of them that like this guy's not as funny as he thinks he is. That one hurt. That one hurt pretty bad. <laughs> like, don't. I don't know what this guy's laughing at, but he's not funny. <laughs> I was like, oh god damn. That hurts. That one's that one stung for a while. But the bulk of them are very good. We're at we're at a four point nine out of five. That's no, pretty currently, darn good. Currently on iTunes. Let me find the worst let me the worst one here. I may have to go down for a bit and find the worst one as we wrap things up here. Um this is a lot of fun though. This is really good, awesome data to share. I think it kind of gives people a, a, a look <laughs> into into life what the life is like for an ultra runner didn't, yeah, didn't one guy say you were annoying or something I get annoying yeah, a lot yeah. people think I'm annoying well you're trying though I mean I think you're good I told you after our last podcast I said you are a good host you know how to set a manage the talk and manage the conversation and I, I appreciate that well someone wants to write that on iTunes I'd appreciate that because that'll help I mean, that'll help replace the sting of like that guy's not as funny as he thinks he is <laughs> trying to find the worst so one. Let me one before I forget, there's one other thing that happened after I got this research done. You know, a, a guy from your show contacted me, Bob Crowley. Oh, he's yeah. from the West Coast okay. and, and is into some of that scene. And uh, and he had we talked about my research and he actually uh, got me on a Zoom with Julie Fingar from American River 50 Mile. And she may actually test some of this theory with some of her future communications. Ah, that's awesome. So we'll see, you know, if there's really, if, if this kind of, you know, hypotheses on, on what might really be troubling people in their racing endeavors really matters. So we might test a little something and see if it comes back positive. So very, very cool. It's part of the, part of the project. This was Appreciate a blast. That. We should just, we need to have you on more often. We just need to next time, just when you're, when you're, when you remember some of these stories, just jot them down and we'll have to just have story time with well, the ultra professor I, have, I do have one about the thought vampire we can do it or save it but i've got you know the thought vampire story there's a couple other things I okay well you got to give us the thought vampire story you okay can't just it won't take long let's oh, finish we can't be, be hanging here oh yeah let's let's okay. let's let's roll here's my philosophy on ultra you also said what helps or hurts from what i've learned you know if there's incessant talking by somebody next to you it will draw down your power especially when you're trying to concentrate and you're mm-hmm. really late in a race okay yeah so one time at at mohican a guy glommed on to me and and the individual was an incessant talker plus he was a really poor character individual yeah he was not a good person and he would incessantly tell these stories and he never stopped he never stopped then we get to the aid station and he would abuse the aid station people oh just terrible yeah terrible and and i we would go out of the station and finally i'd be screaming at him you can't treat people like that (laughs) you got to stop yes you can't do that and he would it would just go right off him and he would keep talking and talking and finally uh a friend of mine, Mark Carroll, I mentioned him that we had come upon the covered bridge and, and I was really distraught over this guy. And Mark says, you got to go. You got to lose this guy. So the minute he turned his back, I ran out and ran up that trail. I think it was red and there's a climb going out of there. And I heard the thought vampire calling Tom, Tom. <laughs> and I just ran into the dark and ran away from the thought vampire. So the the thought is you, you you can't let people get into your head and, and to conclude that at times even at Umstead I appreciate the volunteer mm-hmm. pacer program yeah but you exactly. don't know who you're going to get right and if you're late in the race and you get a big talker 
that oh. just wants to tell you all about themselves, it really draws down on you when you need someone to sort of appreciate where you're at in the race. So I, I would just say to people, don't get too hooked. It's fun to visit sometimes, but always run away from a thought vampire. Run away. Don't from, be around. Yes. There's a good advice um, coming Bad from guy. me, a thought vampire in general. Uh, this was an absolute blast. Dr. I enjoyed it. Thomas good Mueller, Appalachian State University. Um, Thank you. If you're going there, go talk to him about numerous things, yes. ultra running, maybe why you think college campuses conjugal should visits, have conjugal one visit one. centers. Um, yeah. You know, one if any students do one, one other thing, I used to be the advisor for the App State Running Club. We used to have 50 or more students, but mm -hmm. it just sort of fizzed out over time. You know, when students graduate, yeah. Yeah. you lose the leadership, but we used to have a great running club here and. uh it was great to be around students that run. So always happy to visit if someone's on campus. Very, very good. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, everybody, for listening to another episode of The Adventure Jogger. Um, yeah, go check out adventurejogger.com. If you didn't hear Dr. Mueller's first episode that is called Inside the Mind of an Ultra Runner, you can find that now um, on theadventurejogger.com slash listen. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. Thanks for listening, and thanks for taking us along with you while you enjoy some miles. We are 100% listener supported. You can make a monthly pledge on our Patreon page. Just search The Adventure Jogger on Patreon or go to theadventurejogger.com. Join the community on Facebook and Instagram by searching The Adventure Jogger. And subscribe to The Adventure Jogger wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss a single episode.